Welcome to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm BHE Senior Editor Tom Valentino. And on the line, we have Dr. Joseph Garbley, the Executive Vice President of Medical Services and Chief Medical Officer for Karen Treatment Centers. Dr. Garbley, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. It's good to be on. All right, let's get into it. Coronavirus. All right, yeah. coronavirus, uh, obviously a, a massive worldwide issue right now. It's not going to be going away anytime soon. Uh, so I think it'd be a good opportunity for us here today to get into some of the protocols, best practices, and uh, so on and so forth um, with regards to what treatment centers should be doing. So I, I guess let's just start right there. What should treatment centers be doing right now with regards to coronavirus, and what should they not be doing? Well, I'll start with the not. I think that they should not uh, become hysterical about this. Um, They should uh, just lean on their medical and nursing staff who are well-versed in dealing with uh, viral outbreaks. Uh, We deal with the flu season every year, as do every other treatment center in the country. And, uh, you know, Common practices uh, that we utilize for the influenza virus are the same uh, common sense things that need to be done uh, for this uh, novel uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. So um, some simple things uh, are that uh, good hand washing has to be deployed, and that needs to be communicated uh, to all staff. And uh, that is uh, the single greatest defense against uh, both the flu and the COVID-19 virus, any virus uh, for that matter. So that needs to be in place. And that's something we do really well here. We do do a great job of keeping the flu off of our campus year in, year out. So good hand washing. Um, and uh, so during treatment, we uh, tried during the flu season and now with the uh, onset of the COVID-19 virus, uh, we uh, ask uh, those in treatment not to hold hands as they are wont to do after the completion of a group, for instance, or an uh, AA or NA meeting, so as not to, uh, you know, inadvertently have a community spread. Um, We also ask them not to hug, you know, as well. And, uh, and then we really do uh, stress good hand washing with our patients, and, and certainly we model that as staff. Um, so that's, you know, just some simple uh, things that can be done that are really commonsensical in nature, but do a tremendous job in uh, uh, preventing uh, the onset of uh, a viral uh, spread on your campus. Uh, The other thing is that if someone shows signs of a fever, to isolate them immediately um, and then uh, to see if they uh, have uh, the virus in question. So the CDC has made the uh, kits uh, readily available. Uh, So if we suspect there's a problem uh, that might be uh, COVID-19 infection, uh, we will uh, go ahead and get those kits. Uh, out and uh, test those patients. We do that as well with the current influenza virus. It's an H1N1 virus at this point uh, that we're dealing with, and we have uh, kits on the ready. And if someone shows signs of fever, they immediately get isolated, and we do a swab, and they stay isolated until we get the results. 
Hypothetically speaking, what happens if you have a confirmed case of COVID-19 on your property? Like, What are your legal and ethical obligations to your staff and your patients if, in that situation? Well, if we do have someone that, ha- that is test positive uh, by swab for COVID-19, uh, then we monitor them very closely uh, in an isolated fashion. Um, we are fortunate here at Karen to have uh, treatment materials on their um, passport, which is a, uh, a tab- electronic tablet that every patient gets. So they're able to still keep up with their their work that they do, but they do it in an isolated manner uh, until we uh, can be sure that you know they're not progressing uh, with this virus. As you, I'm sure, are well aware, um, there's a minority of patients that go on to have uh, pneumonia and uh, require mechanical ventilation and become critically ill. Um, and uh, but the majority have minor symptoms, um, so you want to make sure that you, you're uh, monitoring them very closely. And uh, one of the things here at Karen that is so important is we have a, a very close relationship with uh, one of the best hospitals in our state, Reading Hospital, which is uh, minutes away. My entire medical staff, and by the way, we have ten full-time physicians here, um, and uh, we have. Uh, uh, 50 nurses as well, and we have 24/7 uh, nursing and physician coverage. So that's uh, um, something that we're very proud of. That professional investment, and uh, and all of us have other backgrounds. I was a critical care physician for a number of years before I went back, trained, and became a psychiatrist, and then got my boards in addiction medicine. So this is um, the key is to to really um, show calmness that we've done this before. This is not new for us. And that uh, if there's a need to, if someone does have uh, uh, symptoms that are progressing, then our partners over at Reading, where we're all on their medical staff. So my entire medical team is on the medical staff at Reading Hospital. And uh, we have a very close relationship with them. And if someone needs a higher level of acute medical care, they're there in minutes. And um, and that that way they're in in a place that uh, can support their medical needs um, that are transcendent uh, from what we could do here. Okay. And I I think that that's so important that that relationship of treatment centers to acute care medical facilities exists um, because. Uh, uh, there are medical comorbidities that come with substance use disorder, first and foremost. And then certainly you have influenza that, you know, you have to worry about every year. And then now we have the COVID-19 virus as well. And we lean hard on our uh, partners at Reading Hospital. And uh, we have first priority because we offer so much to them and they offer so much to us. It's really like a uh, extension of our campus, actually. Absolutely. So, you know, you're, you're describing great lines of communication with your partner organizations. Um, And staff. That's the other thing. We get real time information out on a regular basis to our medical staff, our nursing staff, and to the rest of the staff uh, that need to uh, have this communication, like our clinical staff, for instance. So as we get information, we pass, I actually pass it along so that everyone's up to date. 
And, uh, and with that, um, you know, when I do send that information, I remind everyone to stay calm and we, we, we do this well and we will continue to do it well because I don't want people to, you know, start to, um, uh, have, you know, certain, uh, you know, um, fears that are not necessary. That's not helpful to anyone. Because we we are very equipped to handle this, and we are very confident about that. Sure. So, what uh, you you've done a great job of explaining in terms of like communication between you know you and staff and and you you know, with your partner organizations. How about with family members of patients? Because you know, I mean, it's obviously aside from you know anything related to coronavirus, just having a loved one um, in treatment. Um, for addiction, you know, it can be a stressful time for family. So obviously when you add a, a variable like this to the equation that, um, you know, can add to that, uh, what does your messaging on this front look like to family members? And um, how, how do you, like, what's mechanically, how do you share that? So it's shared before they ever come in. Um, it's shared with them uh, through the admission process, through our admission staff. Um, and the, uh, they share uh, the, co the confidence I'm sharing right now with the family members that, uh, and, and also the, you know, the number of uh, healthcare professionals that we have full time, both nursing and uh, uh, physician uh, medical staff. And, and we really try to impart a sense of confidence because we have it uh, to the families uh, that are going to be entrusting us with their loved ones. And then, uh, you know, if there's any further questions or someone has uh, deeper, uh, you know, uh, concerns, then I'm on call 24-7, 365. And I, I routinely, you know, will talk to families and, uh, and explain to them our procedures and what we're doing and our relationship with Reading Hospital. And that, uh, that makes them feel a lot more comfortable. And uh, so they um, entrust us uh, with their family members um, without uh, reservation. Okay. Um, getting back to the hypothetical situation <laughs> of if you have a patient who is uh, diagnosed with uh, COVID-19, are you required to notify anyone else besides your local health board? Do you need to go to the media with this? What, what, what is the, the plan there? Yeah, I, I, going to the media would not be something that we would do or I would do if we have a case. Uh, we would definitely make sure that uh, the Department of Health in Pennsylvania knows. I, I am uh, the director of the Department of Health uh, and I know each other very well, and I'm happy to call Dr. Levine uh, if we were to ever have a confirmed case. Uh, we have those open lines of communication. We talk often, actually, so um, that's you know would be an easy phone call to make if ever that were to happen. Um, you know, and and we would also uh, enlist the help of our partners over at Reading to let them know that we have a case uh, and get their infectious disease folks that we know very well, you know, uh, to just be part of our team uh, remotely, but still part of our team and just have, you know, expertise, uh, you know, uh, weighing in as well. 
do you ever it, it, would you need to stop accepting patients at any point or no possibly no never gets to that or have no, a it's never gotten to that i mean I, that's you know obviously worst case scenario and and we've you know again i, I just want to stress that the influenza virus is a yearly event and uh, we keep it off of our campus very effectively and uh so um, we've had cases where folks have contracted H1N1, for instance, and we isolated them and we treated them with Tamiflu and uh, got them better, you know. And uh, you know that it's it's rare that we even have any cases because we do, do such a good job of making sure people come in having had a flu shot, and then if they didn't, we make sure they get the flu shot. And uh, we, we do a fantastic job of our staff getting the flu shot as well. So, um, and, you know, they're working hard. And I'm sure at some point in time, not right now, but in the distant future, I imagine they'll have a vaccine for COVID-19 as well. Um, you know, the, uh, so that's, for us, we feel just incredibly confident that we can keep COVID-19 off our campus and that we uh, have done so with all strains of the flu year in and year out. Have you had any challenges with getting necessary supplies? I, I just know like, you know, as me as an individual, I, you know, went to the store and I'm seeing like you know the entire shelf where the hand sanitizer normally is is completely <laughs> gone and you're hearing these stories about how uh you know hospitals and other medical facilities can't get masks that are being bought up by people who have no real use for them uh anyway um is that any sort of a concern or have you run into any issues with that so far no we are well stocked always again we, this is not new we do have you know the flu every year which is a virus so we are well prepared for that, and uh, we have plenty of supplies. So we have not run into that issue at all, and we, you know, order, you know, well before flu season. So we're we're good, always. Good to know. Uh, anything else related to COVID nineteen uh, preparedness that uh, our listeners uh, should uh, take note of that uh, we might not have touched on at this point? No, I think that you know, I think your listeners should realize that. Um, that centers like ours, Karen, uh, are well prepared for this. And we've been doing this uh, for a very long time uh, when it comes to other viral strains and that we feel very confident in keeping this uh, COVID-19 virus off of our campus. And, um, and we know what to do if it, if it does, uh, someone does test positive, thanks to our partnership with uh, one of the best uh, hospitals in, in the state. Uh, that is our uh, enduring partner, you know, very close partner. And I think that, you know, it's important that, that a treatment center has that partnership. And, uh, you know, we probably go that extra mile by being on the medical staff of Reading Hospital, all of our physicians. Um, but that just increases the relationship and it just makes it that much easier for us to have collegial conversations to make sure our patients get the care they need in a um, timely manner. And that's what that's what this relationship is like for us. All right. I think that's going to be a good stopping point. Dr. Joseph, okay. Gardley, thank you so much for taking the time. A lot of uh, great info there. We really appreciate it. OK, thank you. I appreciate uh, it.
All right. Okay. That is going to do it for us for today. A reminder that you can catch up on all episodes of the BHE podcast on our website, behavioral.net. We encourage you to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Additional podcast listening platforms are going to be following soon. Our thanks again to Dr. Joseph Garbley of Karen Treatment Centers. I'm Tom Valentino, and this has been the BHE Podcast. Thank you.